Kia ora koutou. Um, my name is Joelle, and it's my privilege to read the Bible with you this morning. Today we have uh, two chapters from Second Peter, which in the Church Bibles is on page 1051. Cool. So chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last day, scoffers will come, scoffers, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of the water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking, of, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. Our second reading today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16, and that is on page 995 of our church Bibles. So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. So from now on, we we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. 
All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, for he says, In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of my salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the time of salvation. morning. <clears throat> I'm not sure if I can pronounce this correctly, but Kumusta, um, uh, I forget, sorry. I, I looked it up on Google just before how to say hello in Filipino, in uh, Tagalog, but uh, sorry, that's terrible. Kumusta <laughs> pokayo, is that it? Yeah, close? Okay. Um, yeah, I'm one of the pastors here at uh, City on a Hill. It's wonderful to have a full room ready to hear God's word. Uh, so let's come to God's word now. And uh, as we do, let us pray to our Heavenly Father. Lord God, we ask that you would be at work by your spirit. As I speak, may you speak. May your words uh, take root in our heart and transform our mm. lives. Help me to speak clearly and without error and help us to love Jesus more as a result. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to ask the question, is it possible to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly use? Have you heard that saying before? Um, Watch out that you don't become so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly use. Uh, Maybe people don't say that particular phrase, but maybe they say things like that uh, to you or about you or someone you know. Uh, Oh, you remind me of my sister. She's super religious. Have you heard that? Or, oh, darling, do you think maybe you're taking this church thing a bit seriously, a bit too seriously? But is, is it actually possible? Is it possible to be so heavenly minded that we're of no earthly use? Uh, perhaps to be so caught up in the things of God that we, we forget about the responsibilities in the here and now. Well, I actually want to put it to you this morning that God actually wants us to be heavenly minded. In fact, the most useful things we can do here on earth are shaped by heavenly realities. And the vast majority of us are not in danger of being too heavenly minded. In fact, we're in danger of the opposite, of being so caught up and distracted by the things of earth that we forget about far more significant and heavenly realities. Instead, what we need is a framework to work out how heavenly realities shape our earthly usefulness here and now. If you've just joined us this week, uh, we've been looking at what the whole Bible has to say 
about us, about humanity. Uh, What does it mean to be human? And we saw that foundational to what it means to be human is that we are creatures. Uh, And we're not just creatures. Humans are the pinnacle of God's creation. God made us in his image to display his love and his goodness to the universe. But we also saw that we as a human race have failed terribly to show God's glory to the universe. We rejected his rule. We, we failed to obey him. Uh, and rather than treat one another and God, and God with the love that he wants us to show, to, to reflect his love, instead we're filled with all sorts of evil like envy and hatred and bitterness and shame. Humanity is broken But then we saw bursting into the darkness and brokenness of humanity, the perfect human, Jesus Christ, the perfect image of God. We saw that not only does Jesus show us perfect humanity, but through his perfect sacrifice, he pours out his blood as a substitution for all who would trust in him. And so last week, we saw that we can become God's redeemed people, redeemed from this slavery to sin, from this brokenness, so that we now belong to God and to one another as his people. We're given a new identity in Christ. And so rather than being broken sinners in rebellion against God, if you trust in Jesus, you can become his precious child, forgiven by God. But there's one more key piece to this puzzle of what it means to be human. And it's to do with the day that we live in, which is to do with our future as a human race. See, it's God's plan for broken humanity to be restored to its former glory. See, not only has Jesus perfected humanity in his perfect life and teaching, not only has he redeemed humanity in his death paid for our sins, but in his resurrection, Jesus has conquered death and he now lives. And as he rules as God's forever king, Jesus has begun a new humanity. A humanity that is no longer broken. A humanity restored. See, King Jesus is bringing us into a new world without crying or pain or sadness or sickness or evil. We will walk with God again in the garden, just as Adam and Eve did. We will again have access to the tree of life. And have wonderful, fulfilling life forever with him. Well, some of us will. Not all of us. See, Jesus, in order to restore humanity, God has set a day when Jesus will return, not to save, but to judge. No one knows when. It could be later today. It could be before I finish this talk, or it could be a thousand years from now. But one day, Jesus will return as judge, and he will destroy sin and evil 
once and for all. In some kind of fiery judgment. That's what uh, Peter was talking about in the first passage that was read uh, so well by Joel before. Uh, let's read again from 2 Peter 3 3. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do you see what he's saying? God has set a day called the day of judgment, a day of fire and destruction. The world in its present form is going to be destroyed. And all those who have not been redeemed by the blood of Christ will be destroyed with it. Which means the days we are living in are the last days. The last days of humanity as we know it. The last days of broken humanity. The last days before Jesus returns and restores humanity. To bring his redeemed people into this new creation and to judge those who have rejected his forgiveness. That's the day we wait for. That's the day that we live in, the last days. Now, does anyone uh, under 25 recognize these buildings? I'm pretty sure everyone over around 25 will know what they are. Uh, How about now? The Twin Towers, the World Trade Center. One of the tallest buildings, once the tallest buildings in the world and an iconic part of New York's skyline. At 8.46 on the 11th of September 2001, a Boeing 767 filled with jet fuel hijacked by terrorists, flew into the North Tower. Fifteen minutes later, another passenger jet flew into the South Tower. I watched it live on TV. Did anyone else see it live? Yeah. Scary stuff. One of the most horrific and world-changing events since the Second World War. Hundreds killed instantly. Thousands still in the building. Now, I want you to imagine that those buildings represent our world. And the people inside those buildings represent the entire human race since the resurrection of Jesus. Now, bear with me. It's an analogy. I don't want to draw parallels between terrorists and the resurrections of Jesus. I want to focus on what happened next. As soon as the planes crashed into the buildings, no one knew it. Not even the engineers that designed the buildings. But the clock was ticking. Because in just over an hour, both these 110-story buildings 
built of solid steel beams, would come crashing down in a matter of seconds, killing most people inside. So for the people in those buildings, as soon as the planes hit, the countdown had started. The building was about to collapse. Now in the same way, as soon as Jesus rose from the dead and the Holy Spirit was poured out, the day of the Lord began. The clock is ticking. We live in the year 2023 AD. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. We mark our calendar based on our Lord Jesus. The clock is ticking. We are in the last days of this world as we know it. But while we wait for that final judgment, there's a sense in which the day of the Lord has already come. As I said, God has poured out his spirit on all people. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2. Resurrection life has broken in. As Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. And the risen Jesus is building his church. There is already a great multitude of people from every tribe, tongue and nation who gather each week around the world to praise God. That's a glimpse of heaven, isn't it? As we gather together, as we hear our Lord speak and we speak to him in prayer and praise, as we bear with one another in love, as we carry one another's burdens, as we become people who love others the way Christ has loved us, humanity is being restored. But it's only a glimpse of the future reality that awaits. See, humanity is still broken. And churches, too, are filled with broken people. Forgiven, yes, but still struggling, still sinning. Yes, I sin every day. Still hurting each other at times. Sadly, yes. And so as we groan, we groan as we await the coming of our Lord Jesus to fully restore humanity and his people. Now, there's a tension here that I want us to appreciate, which if we get it wrong, it can lead to all kinds of theological errors. In fact, most false teaching around the traps these days comes from either thinking heaven has already somehow come or not realizing how much heaven has broken in. One of those two things. See, on the one hand, we we can tend to overemphasize what Jesus' resurrection has achieved for us here and now. That we, the church, are bringing heaven on earth through the miraculous working of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is restoring humanity now. You can live your best life now. A victory over sin. A life full of joy. A life full of God's blessing. Which means when church lets you down, or when Christians let you down, or when your own health or your own faith, your own brokenness lets you down, well, you can start to think, well, maybe Jesus just isn't cracked up, all that cracked up to be all that much. Or maybe I just don't have enough faith. 
Sadly, many people walk away from Jesus because they've been taught the lie that the church and the Christian life here and now is heaven on earth. But that's not true. Jesus hasn't come back yet. There is a better place for us than the here and now. We get a glimpse. When church is at its best, we get a glimpse, a taste of heaven. But it's just a glimpse. And then on the other hand, we can forget that it is a glimpse of heaven, right? We can think of church like, or faith like, like a gym membership. It helps us stay healthy. I go to the gym to improve my physical fitness, and I go to church to improve my spiritual fitness. And then I get on with my life. Sure, I'll, I'll take heaven if that's a free gift, sure. But in the meantime, I'll just get on with living my life. But Jesus offers you life to the full. A life in him. A life of purpose, of deep and open and caring relationships with people you wouldn't normally get along with. A life of real hope and real joy. A real taste of heaven. But remember, it's not quite heaven. Do you see the tension? Do you see the tension of living in the last days? Uh, it's a tension that's helpfully described by the phrase, now but not yet. Have you heard that phrase? Now but not yet. As in Jesus is ruling now, but he's not yet f- returned to fully establish his rule. Uh, there are heavenly realities that are ours now in Christ. But at that same time, those realities are not yet, uh, they're not yet fully accomplished, not yet fully realized, not yet fully experienced by God's people. So if you are in Christ, then you are now already a citizen of heaven. But you're not living there yet. We're living as aliens and strangers while we await the return of Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are washed clean. God looks at you and sees you as his precious child, set free from sin. That's true right now. But we're not yet fully made perfect. We still struggle with sin. We still go back to our old ways. We still fail every day to treat God and each other as they deserve. And so we long for the glorious day that has not yet come, when humanity will be fully restored. But it's not yet. But then the question is, well, why not? Why not yet? Why hasn't Jesus come back? It's been 2,000 years. Come on, Jesus. If, if, we're, if we're, the only thing we're waiting for is Jesus to come back and judge the world, what's the holdup? Why don't you just come and finish the job and restore humanity, defeat sin and Satan and put an end to all the suffering? Have you ever asked that of God? Have, have you had friends say, why does God allow suffering? Well, that's exactly what the scoffers were saying in 2 Peter 3. Did you notice? Where is this coming, he promised? Everything goes on just as it has since the beginning. I mean, doesn't God care about all the suffering? 
If he can put an end to it, why doesn't he? Is he that heartless? Or is it just that he's powerless? Have a look what he says in verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. This is the reason for the not yet. If Jesus hasn't come back yet, it's because God is being patient. See, God doesn't just have a day in mind when Christ will return and judge the earth. He has a number in mind. It's the full number of sinners who he is going to save by grace. The full number of his image bearers that he is going to restore to that beautiful relationship. And until that day, until the day the number is reached, as much as creation groans, as much as the suffering continues, and as the world cries out for a solution to this mess, the reason Jesus hasn't come back yet is because of God's patience. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Every morning you wake up, if Jesus hasn't come back, it's because there are more people out there that he wants to save. Because now is the day of salvation. Judgment day is coming. We live in the last days and today is the day of salvation. See, the day when Jesus returns will be too late. That's the day of judgment. But every day until that day is the day of salvation. And so it ought to shape everything we do. It means we don't think about people from a worldly point of view. It means that we think about them in terms of their relationship with Christ. The key question when you look at anyone is not their ethnicity or their gender or how likable they are or what job they do. The key question when we look at anyone, including ourselves, is are they reconciled to God through Christ? Have a look at Paul's perspective in 2 Corinthians 5. It'll come up on the screen again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. 
And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Do you see what it means to be a human in the last days? Do you see the perspective that the coming of Christ and the new creation ought to give us? Though we once regarded people from a worldly point of view, now we see people from a new creation point of view. Which means when we look at someone, the question is, are they reconciled to God? And it also means we're Christ's ambassadors. Did you see that? Compelled by his love, we implore anyone who will listen, be reconciled to God. Trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins before it's too late. Can you see how living in the last days ought to drive us to gospel urgency? Do you see Paul's urging tone? We implore you, be reconciled to God. So what will you do in the last days? How will you be Christ's ambassador where he sent you? We spend so much time and effort pursuing exactly the same things as those who don't know Christ. Our career, our middle-class comfort, buying a house, having a family, traveling the world, having holidays, entertaining ourselves, binging Netflix or YouTube or just scrolling. It can seem like the only thing that makes us stand out is that we also happen to be part of a church. We happen to do this thing on Sundays, which is going to church. At least most Sundays, when there's not something more interesting going on or more important. And sometimes we also go to a church thing during the week, a small group. And sometimes we spend time praying and trying to be a nice person like Jesus. But, you know, our friends who don't know Jesus, they're pretty nice as well. Oh, and sometimes we pray when we're thinking about decisions like whether to travel or whether to change jobs or whether to buy a house. We might pray about that. But other than that, or maybe we feel guilty sometimes that we should be sharing our faith and we, we try and drop it into conversation now and then. But other than that, we pretty much don't look any different to the world around us. What would it look like for gospel urgency to captivate your heart. Now, you can't always tell from external appearances, but you know people like this, don't you? People who are zealous for the Lord. People who really get what it means to be Christ's ambassador in the last days. Now, they might not be the most outgoing person, they might not have this amazing energetic personality and high capacity. But everything they do seems to be putting Christ and reconciling people to God through Christ as their number one priority. If they're away for a weekend, they do their best to get back in time for church. Or they go along to night church because they don't want to miss out on meeting with God's people and being encouraged to keep fighting the good fight. 
In fact, the only time they're not at church is when they're too sick. And they, they don't forget to watch the live stream. And when they're at church, they don't just show up. They come looking for how they can serve. A, a new person to talk to. A friend to encourage. A shy person to include. And they don't just attend a community group during the week, most weeks. No, they genuinely care for everyone in that group and their relationship with God. They're constantly praying for friends and family who don't know Jesus. They're constantly trying to find opportunities to share Jesus with them in their own stumbling way, but prayerfully and humbly, longing for them to be reconciled with God. They might even turn down a promotion or an appealing job offer, either because it will move, mean moving cities away from key church relationships or key non-Christian relationships. Or maybe it will mean that a promotion will consume too much of themselves so they don't have time to give to others, to give to church, to connect with non-Christians outside work. And the thing about these people is that they're not doing this stuff to try and impress you, even though it's very impressive. They're doing it because they get it. They've been captivated by the love of Christ. So they no longer regard anyone from a worldly point of view. So what are you going to do in the last days? Rick uh, Rescola was the head of security at the South Tower at the World Trade Center on that day. When the second plane hit at 9.03 that morning, he took it upon himself to get everyone else out of the building. And when the stairwell emptied of the flood of people who were coming down to escape, he went back up the stairs to see if he could find anyone else he could get out. Moments later, the building collapsed. Rick gave his life, saving others. Because he understood the urgency of the time he lived. Friends, the building's collapsing. It's about to collapse. So why would you invest your time admiring the architecture on, or the artworks on the wall of the World Trade Center? Why would you spend your time sightseeing and traveling the world or, or living for the next holiday or the entertainment package? Instead, why not invest in world mission? Pray for them. Give sacrificially towards gospel proclamation around the world. There'll be plenty of time to explore the new creation when we have eternity. <laughs> The building's about to collapse. So why spend your life trying to build a career? The top executive and the window cleaner in the World Trade Center, their job meant nothing in that moment. The building was about to collapse. What matters most is whether you and those around you have been reconciled to God through Christ. That's the only way out of the building. So implore others before it's too late. 
And in fact, why not consider giving up your full-time job to go and proclaim Christ full-time? Here at City on a Hill, we want to raise up and send out workers for the harvest. We've seen Ross and Shona send out. We've, we've seen Rob and Joy being sent out to Sydney to study and hopefully return to proclaim the gospel here in New Zealand. We're taking on at least one more apprentice next year. Why not take two years out of your life, do a ministry apprenticeship with us, and be equipped to reconcile others with God through Christ? And spend that two years working out whether you could do this for the rest of your life. Maybe you decide that you don't, but then you'll have a great toolkit. Two years of gospel ministry experience. Have a think about it. Now, I began this talk by asking the question, is it possible to be so heavenly minded that you're of no earthly use? Well, if being heavenly minded means you recognize that we're living in the last days, that judgment day is coming, and so now is the day of salvation, if being heavenly minded means you embrace these glimpses of heaven, but you still long for the things that are not yet accomplished. If being heavenly minded means that Christ's love compels you as Christ's ambassador to implore others, be reconciled to God. Well, God has many, many useful things for you to do here on earth. Let's pray that we would live out our humanity with this kind of gospel urgency. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we thank you for making us as human beings to show your glory to the world that you've created. And we're sorry for how far we fall short of that. But we thank you that Jesus has come. He has shown us perfect humanity. He has died to redeem us. And he is restoring us to that humanity that you created us to be. Lord, we long for that day. Please give us wisdom about not overemphasizing what the resurrection means for us now, but not forgetting about it and just living life as if it didn't matter. Help us to see the gospel urgency as we wait for that day and we long for Jesus to return. But Lord, we pray that you would save many, many millions more people before that day comes. And we pray that you might use us here in Wellington, in our workplaces, at the school gate, in our families, in our flats. Please use us, Lord, to be your ambassadors, to in sensitive and loving and gentle ways to implore others to be reconciled to you through Christ. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing one of my favorite songs. Uh, it's a real stirring anthem for Christ's people in Christ alone. Uh, so we'll let the musos get set up and then we'll stand and sing. <laughs>